Once upon a time, in a far-off kingdom, there lived a prince in a shining castle. And although he had everything his heart desired, the prince was spoiled, selfish, and unkind. And then, one winter's night, an old beggar woman came to the castle and in return for herself, so she offered him a single rose. Repulsed by her haggard appearance, the prince sneered at the gift and turned the old woman away. But she warned him not to be deceived by appearances, for beauty was found within. And when he dismissed her again, the old woman's ugliness melted away to reveal a beautiful enchantress. The prince tried to apologize, but it was too late for she had seen that there was no love in his heart. And as punishment, she transformed him into a hideous beast and placed a powerful spell on the castle and all who lived there. Ashamed of his monstrous form, the beast concealed himself inside his castle with a magic mirror as his only window to the outside world. The rose she had offered was truly an enchanted rose, which would bloom for many years. If he could learn to love another, and earn her love in return by the time the last petal fell. Then the spell would be broken. If not, he would be doomed to remain a beast for all time. As the years passed, he fell into despair and lost all hope. For who could ever learn to love a beast? And that was the longest beginning we've ever done. We're supposed to be truncating this thing. That is true. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Before the Before Town Beat, a musical, musical podcast. It's <laughs> going very well today, everyone. I am your ginger host, Mackenzie, and I'm joined today by the Mrs. Potts to my chip the Canadian B. Arthur, the director extraordinaire, the John Adams of Canadian theater, Autumn Smith. I love how my intro keeps getting longer. I'm now Mrs. Potts, <laughs> which, you know, okay. You know, I'm a little bit older. And yes. who do we have with us today, Chip? Well, joining our motley crew of enchanted objects, we have the very talented sound magician himself, Mr. Denny Brandt. Hello, Denny! I'm the guest. I am blessed to be here on your podcast. Hello, Autumn and Mackenzie. Hello! <laughs> that was a fantastic intro to yourself. I love it. I love it. I, I've been workshopping that like all week. Well, Denny, we approve. We approve. <laughs> it paid off. Yes. Yes. We are here, I'm your, here. You have now earned your return appearance on a future episode, just from that intro alone. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you have not guessed what musical we are doing yet, we are doing none other than what, Autumn? What are we doing today? We are doing the Disney sensation, The Little Mermaid. <laughs> I, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think how to respond to that. I'm trying to be beautifully, um, but we're doing Beauty and the Beast. That's right. 
tale as old as time. Yes. And I chose this musical. This was not an autumn pick for our season finale episode. Yeah. Did you choose the last season finale too? No, last season finale was yours. It was Rent. I didn't choose that. Yes, you did. Rent was not one of my picks. I can tell you that. Rent just came out of nowhere and was just like, I'm just going to insert myself into the outline here. and (laughs) (laughs) Nobody chose it. Just made it true. It's true. No. Yes. That was a great episode, though. I know. It's one of my faves. I converted Autumn on that episode. I was very proud of myself. Wait a minute. I thought you didn't like Rent, though. I didn't like Rent, but I had but I had to convert Autumn to, to oh. my way of thinking. And now I hate it. Uh, oh, I'm I very see. proud of myself. I'm very proud of myself. I probably hate it more than Mackenzie. Which probably. Is yeah. Well, I feel like I'm at home with some friends here. I mean, I am, but also I'm not a big fan of Rent either. <laughs> Perfect. But now we get to talk about a musical that we maybe all like. I would say so. I would say so. But before we do that, Denny, <laughs> as you are the newest guest of the podcast, tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, you are also a podcaster yourself. You're a sound magician. You're our fellow Yorkie. Like, give us the rundown on who is Denny and the Jets. Well, uh, Mackenzie, you've basically taken the uh, the, the jet fuel out of my Jets there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I am all those things. Um, I, I've done... Um, I attended York University with both Mackenzie and Autumn. In Autumn's first pass of Oh, What a Lovely War, I was her sound designer, and that was a fun ride. Mm-hmm. And that's where we first met, um, was on that project. Mm-hmm. Um, and nowadays I am running a YouTube channel called Dicely D and D. Uh, it's as the name suggests, it's Dungeons and Dragons content. Uh, I teach people how to play because I am big into storytelling, especially in a collaborative sense. I run a podcast attached to that called Speak Dicely, where I get together with other storytellers and tabletop players, and uh, we talk rules, we talk making stories, and it's just a grand old time. I mean. I feel like Reed would get into D&D, Autumn. Maybe. He's got the imagination for it. He certainly does. (laughs) He certainly does have the imagination. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, so yeah, once again, I chose this musical. This was not an Autumn pick. No. Yeah. And I chose it because this was one of my all-time favorite Disney movies growing up as a kid. This was the VHS that was played on repeat. Then I found out it was a musical. uh, And so I was like, oh, well, that's obvious. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the one out of all the Howard Ashman and Mencken stuff, like easily translates to the Broadway stage. It's basically a musical cartoon that just got moved to live action. 
And so, and that's what I like about it. It's a very good adaptation of the source material. It develops things in the right way. It doesn't bloat and add unnecessary backstories and extra plot points. Every song they added actually builds and actually fits into the overall construct of what this like 85 minute original movie was. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a very solid adaptation. And I, and I do enjoy that it is a great bit of family theatrical entertainment. It's a solid way of introducing children to the world of theater. Yeah. So I liked it for that reason. And I do have to say, though, for my first experiences with this, I've actually never seen it live. I've only ever watched the bootlegs. And I performed as Gaston in the Kiwanis Music Festival where I sang the song Me in the double bill competition where I did this song, Me, and I also did No One Is Alone from Into the Woods as two back-to-back pieces. So I had the full Gaston outfit, big hair, mirror, like six-pack stuffed chest. So yeah, I've always loved this musical. I bought the CD while I was at Disney World in Florida one year on family vacation. Loved it. Like, this is... This and Hunchback are probably my two favorite Disney musicals by far. Like, sorry, Lion King, you're okay. But, but like, but, but uh, this and Hunchback are my two favorite source of Disney, Disney musicals. But Autumn, how did you come to this musical? I mean, I saw the Disney movie. Yeah. Both of them. I I was about to say you were probably like, Right in the heyday when it first came out in the early 90s. Yeah, thanks. I was. Shots fired. That's not a shot fired. That's an honest thing. That, like, I, I came after the movie. You know, Matt, some people, it it's honesty, but some things just, you need to leave them alone. <laughs> <laughs> now, Autumn and I, the whole age thing, we go back and forth. On that one I, I've seen them all at this point. It's true. <laughs> uh, I was around when it first came out. Uh, me and my old walker here will just talk about it. Ah, those good old days when I was you. Oh, those good old days. Um, yes, I, yes, I was around. So I saw the original, loved it. I was, I remember when it was, um, people were, all my friends were auditioning for it at Mervish. It, yes. That was a big thing. Um, I didn't see, I've never seen a live version of this. Have I? No, I don't think I have, but I too watched the bootleg. Mm-hmm. And I- I've done quite a few. I've done, I, yeah, I, I've done, I did, I did the fight choreography for a community theater version. Nice. Of this a few years back. They hired me to come in and do their final fight. Sequel. Oh, very good. I mean, this this, this musical ends with, with, with some good action scenes. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you got, I mean, you got the does. objects and the villagers. You got Gaston and the beasts. Like, there's some like, there's some great cinematic yeah. climax to this to this to this musical. Hmm. Hmm. So, I mean, yeah. I don't. It's not one of my favorite musicals, but I I like it. And I love sharing it with the kids. The kids really like it. And they were so excited when it came out to a live action one with Hermione Granger. Oh, yeah. As Belle. (laughs) Auto-tune. Something. 
Yeah. Um, Luke Evans was good as Gaston, though, and Josh Gad was good as LeFou. They were the standouts of that movie. Well, of course they were. Mm-hmm. They're getting their own that. Disney Plus prequel series. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Is yeah. Is it's, it called Four Dozen Eggs? No. <sighs> that, that would be a great name. <laughs> but it's going to be all about Gaston and LeFou before Beauty and the Beast. Apparently, there's going to be musical numbers and everything. Oh. Wow. Because Luke Evans proved to be so popular in the role that they were like, so we're going to do a prequel now just about what Gaston got up to before he came, before he became infatuated with Belle. Danny, yeah. tell us, how did you come to this musical and why this was the first musical you chose to be a guest on? Because you've been helping us behind the scenes with our sound, getting us getting us sounding better. So, 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 you, so you've been part of the process now for a while. But this is your first on-camera appearance. So what inspired you to step out in front? Well, uh, this one was uh, actually my second choice because uh, they so desperately did not want to do Spider-Man the musical, and I really can't blame them. Beauty and the Beast was one of the first musicals I saw as a kid, and I don't remember much about that experience other than being terrified of the eyes in the Maurice in the Woods sequence. Mm. Um, and that that just stuck with me. And then I grew up saw the Disney movie. It was great. Um, high school came around. We did a high school production of Beauty and the Beast. I was cast in the role of Gaston. And that was that was a lot of fun. I, of course, being high school uh, ego, I guess, was like, I want to be Beast. But I got Gaston. And it was complimentary in a way because Gaston had more songs. So I took the compliment. Uh, and it was fun being a villain. Like, that was... It, it it was an interesting exploration. Um, I don't condone Gaston in any way. He is an awful person. Yes. Um, but to be the person behind that role was an interesting frame of mind to kind of learn about. Um, and and I did see this musical again in I think it was 2011 or 2012 when it came to the Four Seasons and. Mm. It was superb. I was in the nosebleeds, but mm-hmm. even from there, it was a heck of a lot of fun. It, 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 once again, it's a magical theatrical experience that that proves the audience is like, like even if critics what didn't, and we will get into that. But let me, you know what, before we get any further, let me quickly break down the plot of this musical. For anybody who doesn't know this tale as old as time, basically the Disney version of Beauty and the Beast tells the tale of, of, of a prince who one winter's night turns an old beggar, beggar woman away from the castle after she offers him a single rose in return for shelter. Uh, she then, in return, shows that she's actually an enchantress, transforms him into a hideous beast. Uh, in, the, in the movie version, it says that he, it says he has it until his 21st birthday. Uh, in, in the musical, they took that element away because they realized that it was causing some weird age problems of how old is Beast when he first gets cursed? How old is Belle? Like... Some weird mixes there. So instead, it's now just he is cursed and, and he has to break the spell by the time the last petal falls. It do that he must learn to love another and earn their love in return. And so also part of the curse is that all his uh, household staff are now slowly deterior- deteriorating and becoming household objects, which is a really which was a updated version from the film where in the film they just automatically turn into the clock and the candlestick. Now it's they are human who are slowly but surely almost in a horror movie, growing appendages like uh, clock cranks and 
and and uh, wax arms and things like that. Much more scary, actually, when you think about it. Um, that these people are actually turning into these objects slowly. Um, but anyway, so they get turned into the they get they, they get cursed, and then we flash forward. We now have Belle, the most beautiful girl in town. She's also very bookish. She's an outsider. Uh, she she gets accosted by the town hunter Gaston, uh, who wants to marry her. Uh, her Belle's dad Maurice is, is kind of the crazy inventor of the town and he sets off uh, one day to go to the fair with his newest invention he gets lost in the woods ends up at the castle the beast throws him in the dungeon Belle goes to the castle and she trades her uh, herself for, for Maurice to save his life uh, Belle then uh, has a whole bunch of stuff happen at the castle with her with the objects she gets to like them the beast scares her away the beast then saves her from the wolves. They start falling in love. Gaston's being left in the village all depressed. So he decides, my plan to get Belle to marry me is I'm going to lock up her father in the insane asylum at, uh, at the Maison de Lunes uh, as a way to get Belle to marry me. Uh, Belle and Beast have this beautiful ballroom date night. Uh, the Beast is about to say, do, uh, Belle, do you love me? But then Belle sees through the magic mirror that Maurice is lost in the woods looking for her. So the beast sacrifices himself and his household staff to, 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 to be doomed forever in order for her to go save her father. Uh, when Belle brings the Maurice back to the, to the house uh, in the village, the villagers show up with their torches and pitchforks, apparently to send a guy to an insane asylum, only then to have Gaston turn the mob uh, against Maurice and onto the beast. And the, and the villagers storm off to go kill the beast. Uh, there's a big climactic fight at the castle between the villagers and the objects. Gaston and the beast face off. And uh, Belle returns to the castle, showing the beast that, yes, she does love him. But just as the beast is about to go to Belle, he's stabbed in the back by Gaston, who then loses his footing and falls to his death off the castle. And unfortunately, Beast is mortally wounded, so he's dying, and Belle, as he dies, confesses her love to him. The last petal falls, magic and sparkles happen, and all of a sudden, the Beast is turned back into the man. And they kiss, and they live happily and ever alive. after. Yeah, he's alive, you know, magic. Uh, everybody's returned to their human form. It's a big happy ending. And How the end. That is the Disney version of Booty and the Beast. You know, Mac, I had not clued in to the fact that you're right. He brought the mob to watch Maurice get thrown into the, the insane asylum. Mm -hmm. Why'd he do that? Well, it's the whole thing. I mean, I mean, when you watch the movie, it's terrifying because like these people show up with torches and pitchforks to watch this poor old man who, as far as they know, has kind of gone crazy to be dragged away to an insane asylum. It's like, they're basically a lynch mob showing up at this guy's house being like let's lock him up like very dark like once again howard ashman and alan Menken and linda wolverton very dark with, the, with, with like what they do with the villagers like they're not just simpleton people they have they, they're quite complex and that's what i like about this as well is just there is a lot of adult themes in this that oftentimes get overlooked because oh it's just a talking teapot and Oh, it's the funny villagers who get beat up by by by, by a clock in a, a in a uh, Napoleon outfit. Well, 
it's not uncommon for those of us who are younger watching Disney movies to later come back to them and be like, oh, there's a lot more going on in these. Damn right. All right, Autumn. With all that being said, who is the creative movie? We've covered Alan Menken and Howard Ashman in, in, in Little Shop. Oh, yeah. We're back in so, season one. So who else we got? So Alan, of course, composed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ashman, lyricist. Yep. However, he was the co-lyricist. His uh, fellow lyricist on this project was one Tim Rice. Sir Tim Rice. Sir Tim Rice was yep. the co-lyricist. Yes. Yes. So unfortunately, he came on out. Howard Ashman died mid-production of Beauty and the Beast of AIDS, which is <coughs> yes. very sad. He never got to see the final product of the film. That's right. And we talked about that uh, we did. a lot during a little shop so this is where howard ashman um left us mm-hmm. which is too bad because he was such an extraordinary he was brilliant you should yeah. watch the documentary on disney plus called howard which looks at his life and in his work okay i'll do that very good it's very good i now have disney plus so uh tim rice came on and we all know tim rice he's amazing chess we've talked about him at nauseam in season yes. one <laughs> he's a sir for a reason obviously yeah, yeah. To Sir With Love from Autumn Smith. I love him. Very smart. Um, The book of Beauty and the Beast was written by Linda Wolverton, as you Mm -hmm. mentioned Mm -hmm. earlier. Uh, Linda is an American screenwriter, playwright, Mm -hmm. and novelist. Mm -hmm. Uh, Prominent works uh, include a ton of Disney films. She co-wrote... Well, she wrote this, but she co-wrote Lion King and provided additional story material for Mulan. And she did the she did the original Disney uh, Beauty and the Beast and then adapted it for Broadway. She also wrote the screenplay for Maleficent. Yes. And she wrote the squeam, uh, the squeam play, (laughs) the screenplay of Alice in Wonderland and Maleficent times two. Uh, so that's her mm-hmm. so she's a you know very prolific disney screenwriter like she's yeah contributed and a lot to the last decades so extraordinarily moneyed from mm-hmm. adaptations it's not even funny mm-hmm. then uh two people i will mention um the director and the choreographer mm-hmm. robert jesse roth was the director he worked sure. at disney he moved in and like he did stuff for Disney. He so. did their theme park show. So like, yeah. so like, the, so like the Beauty and the Beast twenty minute uh, adaptation that's done at all the parks. Yeah. So they were like, oh, I know, he's the right choice. So he directed it. The only other significant uh, thing he has directed is Lestat. What the heck is on that? Broadway? Oh, funny you should ask that. Lestat was the Broadway musical. Uh, adaptation of Anne Rice's The Vampire Lestat from Interview with a Vampire. Mm. Never heard. You've not read Interview with a Vampire? No, I've seen the I, I, I've seen the Tom Cruise and, and Kirsten Dunst movie. Like no, you have to read the book. The book's great. Okay. The movie is terrible. I mean, it's Tom Cruise. Sorry, Tom. What else? Um, and Kirsten Dunst, again. Not fans. And Brad Pitt mm-hmm. as Lestat. It's just really bad. Anyway, we're not going down that. No. Nope. And Matt West, same thing as Robert. 
did this and then did Lestat. That's it. Me done. Boom. Wow. Look at you. Finished. You're keeping this short and sweet. No. The only Tony this one was for costume design. Yes. And we will get into that. I get it. I, I get into all that good stuff. Okay, so here's the long-winded production history. Actually, Autumn is four paragraphs. <gasps> oh, we're no. getting good. We're getting good, Horner. I know. I know. All right. So, following the uh, success of Beauty and the Beast as a film, and many critics commenting that this will make a good translation to the Broadway stage, it was ultimately inevitable that the film would get the stage treatment. Um, so. Uh, Robert uh, Jess Roths, Roth uh, was appointed uh, to be the production's director based on his various successes directing live uh, shows at the Disney theme parks. And also due to his lack of experience directing Broadway shows, uh, uh, Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg, who were the heads of Disney at the time, liked the fact that he was a little bit inexperienced because then they could retain creative control over the project, believing that a A-list director would, would cause him a bit more pushback and, and, and be inclined to make it to challenge their vision. So they're like, Roth, you're it. We can manipulate you a bit. We'll, we'll, and it'll be, we can have a bit more creative control over this. So Roth then actually had to come in. He did a whole proper pitch. Uh, he worked with Linda Wolverton and Alan Menken uh, and, 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 and designers to get this pitch put together. He showed it to them and they were like, okay, good. We like what you did. Go ahead. Uh, at that point, Linda Overton was officially commissioned to write this to write to, to write the book for the musical. She was uh, initially skeptical skeptical about doing this because she felt this story was very cinematic with talking teapots and candelabras, and she was like, "I don't know how we're going to adapt this." Uh, but she ultimately uh, solved the problem because she figured out that instead of having the objects immediately transform into their uh, enchanted selves, they will slowly throughout the piece become less and less human. That's reflecting also the beast and his deterioration as well, becoming more beastly. Uh, so she did that. So that was her first problem solved. Then she also set out to expand the roles of Gaston, Beast, and Belle. And she did this by uh, giving them new songs, working new spots into, for, for, for new material. She also expanded the roles of the Feather Duster and the Wardrobe, who were only minor characters in the animated movie. Instead, they were now actually given names and fully realized supporting characters. They were named Babette and Madame Le Grand Bouche, respectively. Such a great name. Um, so they did that. Uh, Katzenberg, uh, when it came time to do casting for this, opted to go with unknown performers in the lead roles versus stunt casting, because he felt that would just take away and you, it'd be harder to see the, the characters on stage if you're seeing Emma Watson as Belle, for example. Um, kind of hard to look past her to see the actual character. Um, so also, so good job on you, Katzenberg, for doing that. So out of 500 actresses, it was 22-year-old actress Susan Egan who was cast in the role of Belle. And it was due to her unique uh, interpretation of the role because she had never seen the film. So she came in with a very fresh, non-Page O'Hara take on the role. Now, now they did cast a veteran of the bra of the Broadway stage, Tony nominee Terrence Mann as the Beast. Uh, and he had a very lengthy audition process that ended up with him having to go sit in front of like a hundred people in, 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 a, in a Broadway theater to do his final audition. It was a big final ca uh, casting session 
for him, but they cast him. Uh, the late Did great- he just get on stage and go, I've played Javert. <laughs> and got Tony nominated for it. And more- walked off, because that's what I would have done. I've you- played Javert. And Rum Tum Tugger. And Rum Tum. I've been a beast before. <laughs> what is wrong with you people? Yeah, I've been a man. I've been a beast. I could be both at the same exactly. time. Exactly. And I have some serious moves. Yes. So he was cast. Then it was late great uh, actor Gary Beach, who they went after for the role of Lumiere. Uh, and he was initially reluctant to do the role because he had prior commitments to an upcoming show starring comedian Carol Burnett. However, it was Carol Burnett herself who insisted him to go take the role of Lumiere. Because he had voiced that he had always wanted to do a role like Jerry Orbox when he had seen the film initially in the early 90s. So, so she was like, no, now is your chance. Go. So he signed on. Now, because they were going with relatively unknowns, the one big name that actually came about in the casting was Tom Bosley, who was known for his television roles in Happy Days and Murder, She Wrote. And he became the most recognizable name, and he was cast as Belle's father, Maurice. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so then, uh, as they headed into rehearsals, they had the script, and the script included all eight songs from the film, including they also added back in a song that was cut from the movie, Human Again. So that was all added back in, and then Rice and Mankin wrote uh, more, six new songs for the musical as well. So they went into rehearsals pretty solid on the writing team. Uh, Anne Holden Ward. Uh, designed the costumes for this uh, piece. And she had the difficult task of having to costume these enchanted objects. Uh, uh, Howard spent a year researching clothing and objects of the time period. She even visited with the Beauty and the Beast animated team to try and figure out how they came up with the character designs to try and match them as best she could. While still kind of agreeing that, you know, we're going to try and match them, but they're not going to be dead on because... Some stuff you just can't translate. You got to kind of adapt. So she did that. And then once uh, her year was up of research, she then presented her work to uh, Eisner and then president uh, of Disney, Frank Wells. They approved the designs. And then she spent another year actually creating the prototypes for the costumes. Later on, Holland Ward noted that she really enjoyed the unusual lengthy design process because it gave her time to actually really work out these complex costumes Uh, she continually sought input from the cast as she wanted to ensure they could properly move in the outfits and could properly express their characters Uh, when it came to the beast design she was repeatedly rejected by Katzenberg who kept reiterating put the movie on stage until uh, they realized during one of the uh, tech tryouts that with the amount of makeup they had put on Terrence Bay he could not perform properly he was hard to understand, and you couldn't really see the actor's face underneath all the prosthetic design. So they cut back that, and that also translated to a lot of the stage actors. Well, like if you look at the original Lumiere design, like he had a giant wax nose that came down his face that would cover his basically center of his face eventually in the in the show, and they cut all that back to try and get the actors out more behind the costumes. Uh, so she even said. Uh, I wanted the reality of the real person rather than the fantasy of the object. The essence of my job is to allow my real actors to take you on this fantastic, to this fantastical place. 
Uh, the costume for Lumiere alone was built by a team of 40 people, including uh, creators for prosthetic candles, hair, vacuum foam specialists, pyrotechnicians, uh, man responsible for equipping the costumes pyro unit with uh, butane and the man operating the butane tank were each a separate person. So a giant 40 person like pit crew team was needed for just one costume. Cogsworth co uh, Cogsworth's costume featured an actual functioning clock uh, on his like that would actually swing and actually would work. So like that was a major thing. And then also the wardrobe costume that actually opens had had, had opening doors and opening drawers was the most expensive costume to make. Egan initially said that the executives at the studio did not trust the audience to make the leap in like in like suspension of, of disbelief. But as they watched the previews, they slowly but surely caught on to this. And by the time they got to Houston for Edison Trust, they had chopped down a lot of the um, prosthetics and extra stuff they were doing to the actors. They went to Houston for Edison tryouts. The actors were still having some problems with the costumes. There were some major like physical problems. Like, for example, they needed to actually bring on a chiropractor and uh, a physiotherapist for the actors to assist them. Like uh, Beth Fowler, who played Mrs. Potts. Her costume required her to have her arm up in the air at all times as the spout. So like that needed to be worked out of her arm a lot. Uh, the actor, Gary Beach, who played Lumiere, said carrying around the propane tanks was like carrying around two hams in a, uh, for, for two and a half hours. So to help him prepare, he actually had the, the, the propane tanks strapped to his hands all through rehearsal so he could get used to the weight. But even then, he still needed physical therapy for that. So apparently one night during the Edithon trials, his hand actually caught on fire. And it wasn't until Terrence Mann noticed it and it kind of subtly started pointing to, to, to Gary Beach that your hand's on fire, that they actually were able to put it out. Um, and then Mann described his early Beast costume was like wearing heavy winter coats um and then having to run around the block 10 to 20 times so very hard process this this early out of town tryouts but people should not be actors right there <laughs> so there you go uh it was a success though in houston they actually even extended their out of town tryout just because the audiences were so enthusiastic about it uh, the musical then transferred to Broadway at the Palace Theater on April the 8th, 1994. I was four months old when that happened. Um, <laughs> and the cast on opening night included Susan Egan as Belle, Terrence Mann as the Beast, Burke Moses as Gaston, Gary Beach as Lumiere, Beth Fowler as Mrs. Potts, Canadian actor Heath Lamperts as Cogsworth, Tom Bos yeah, Heath. Yeah, as Cogsworth. Uh, and then you have T Tom Bosley as Maurice and Kenny Raskin as Le Fou. The show did not get its positive reviews that it received out of town. It actually received mixed to negative reviews, with many critics saying that Beauty and the Beast was a great spectacle, but not great theater. Audiences, however, disagreed with this, and very quickly it was making a ton of money on The Great White Way. Um, so there you go. It, it, it proved to be a major success. Uh, it delighted children, especially who love the idea of seeing their favorite movie performed live on stage. That is the point of this show. Yep. 
the yeah. point of any Disney show. It's not, I mean, it They're is chicken foundations. Yeah. <laughs> it's spectacle. Yes. Yeah. Either way. So show didn't receive the best reviews, but audiences showed they liked it. The production received nine nominations for the Tony Awards, but they were shunned at the ceremony, only, only winning one award for best costume design. Who won that year? So that year, what won was the musical Passion by Stephen Sondheim, which many consider his own version of the Beauty and the Beast fairy tale. Yeah, in a way it is. So people are but like... But again... Well, better. yeah, well, once again, it's Sondheim. <laughs> it's hard to beat Sondheim. <laughs> Honestly. Mm-hmm. I, don't, like, I don't even like Passion very much, but I, but I can see why it won, because it's Sondheim and he can write circles Mary around Maisie. people. Marin Maisie. And also and also Donna Murphy. And Donna Murphy. Yeah. In one. Yes. So the production continued to run at the Palace Theater despite it being shut out at the Tony Awards until September the 5th, 1999. Then the show transferred to the to, to the Lafontaine Theater on November 11th, 1999, with its official opening date being November the 16th, 1999. The musical then closed on July 29th, 2007 after 46 previews and 5,461 performances, making it Broadway's 10th longest running musical in history as of September 2019. So popular as ever. The show actually ultimately didn't close because of low audiences, but Disney closed it because they were opening The Little Mermaid down the road and they felt having two Disney princess musicals uh, on Broadway would create uh, unneeded competition and divide audiences. So they were like, sorry, Beauty and the Beast, you're out. Now, this musical has brought on quite a few big names. Several Disney actresses all took on the role of Belle in the early 2000s. You had uh, Christy Carlson Romano, also known as Kim Possible. Uh, you also had Annalise Vanderpoel took on the role. Beyond the Disney character act- actresses, you also had Debbie Gibson. OG Annie, Andrea McCardle. Uh, played what? She played Belle. Really? Yeah. It would be a bit long in the tooth for Belle. Well, audiences were far enough away. <laughs> okay, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She would have been like in her th- late 30s. Somewhere around there. Jesus. Okay, continue. Yeah. So- and R&B singer Tony Braxton. Uh, and so when Braxton uh, took on the role, they actually had uh, part of her contract was that they actually had to write a new song for her. Uh, and so they wrote the song A Change in Me, which takes place when Belle bring, brings Maurice back to the house. <sighs> and everybody liked it so much. It's now actually been added into all subsequent productions. I was going to say when I watched the production that you sent me, I was like, I'm pretty sure there was a song here. Mm-hmm. Yep. Makes sense. Yep. It was all thanks to Miss Tony Braxton. Yeah. I'm also trying to go through that song in my head now that I remember it. I'm like, is it good? It's kind of good. It's it, it got a lot of great reviews when it premiered. It actually brought new people back into the theater to see it again because everyone was like, a new song? What's this? Yeah, that so, would do it. Yeah. So there you go. Um so now, there, so now beyond the role of Belle, we've had some other big name people come into the show. We had young Nick Jonas play Chip in 2002. 
You had Donny Osmond take on the role of Gaston from 2006 till the show closed in 2007. And Hugh Jackman originated the role of Gaston in Australia as one of his first big musicals that he did down under. And, and then the last bit I have is Beauty and the Beast actually had a big run in Toronto. It, yeah. it did. It's, it was at the Princess of Wales Theatre. It ran from 1995 to 1997. It starred Carrie Butler as Belle, Chuck Wagner, OG Rapunzel's Prince and Into the Woods mm-hmm. as The Beast, Dan Chamoroy as Gaston, Andre Theron as Lumiere, Judy Marshak was Mrs. Potts, Paul Brown was Cogsworth, Terry Doyle as Maurice, and Cliff uh, Saunders as LeFou, which I can totally see. I can too. He's a total LeFou. But there we go. That's it. That is production history. Short and sweet. It's pretty good. Four paragraphs, was it? Yep. (laughs) Four long paragraphs. Yeah. (laughs) All right. All right. Either way. A paragraph a page. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. All right. Well, let's get into our top three songs. Because we've now talked about our experiences. We've talked about production history, creative team, uh, how we all came to this show. Let's get into the music, which is why we're all really here. So, Denny, as our guest, what is your first song? So I think it's uh, I, I I'm sure you both will understand this. That th- this was a very hard choice mm-hmm. to make. And I honestly, I don't think there is like any terrible songs in this musical. Well, we'll get to worse songs in a bit. Mm-hmm. But the one I'm throwing in my top my top spot is Beauty and the Beast. Tale as old as time. as it can be barely even friends then somebody bends unexpectedly just a little change small to say the least both a little scared neither one prepared That was my number three. Autumn didn't make your list? No, it's on my anti-list. It's the only one on my anti-list. That's fair. Um, Yeah, yeah. It's it's like, like I was saying, like, I don't think there's a song that's like absolutely awful. I can understand anybody prescribing specific reasons to certain songs. Mm -hmm. But for me, this one's like... It's it's a song that I kind of detach from the musical concept and it kind of takes me away to memories when I've kind of like felt like lighthearted and like I've fallen in love and mm-hmm. it it just brings me back to a more happy time. So that mm-hmm. that's what this song kind of does for me. Mm-hmm. And then in the reprise at the end, it's just like all of these voices together, it just strikes me so hard. Mm-hmm. It moves me to tears every time. Yeah. So good. So good. But yeah, I I also put this on my list because this is like some enchanted evening. This is like one of the great Broadway romance. I know Autumn's cringing. 
Autumn, for some reason, Autumn doesn't, Autumn doesn't like these big romance songs. Uh, but this is like one of these great, big, beautiful theater love songs. I mean, looking back at what Howard Ashman had to do, where it's like, hey, Howard, you got to write a love song for us that incorporates the title of the movie into the song. But these characters are actually never called these names in the movie, really. Like, like nobody calls Belle beauty. Yes, her name means beauty, but nobody ever calls her that name. So the fact he actually came up with this gorgeous lush song that just allows the audience to get swept up in the romance of this moment and i mean it's so it's so well structured i mean it starts off with the two delicate motifs coming in the do 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 da 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 And the fact they're, they're calling to one another and they start that way. And it's ever so delicate when Mrs. Potts starts the song as if like, it's a butterfly. It's like, don't like, don't scare it. Like th uh, uh, this moment is so fragile. It's rose petal. Exactly, exactly. It has, a, and then it crescendos into this beautiful sweeping ballroom where Belle is being swooped around and you have Mrs. Potts crescendoing in the music. And then it ends on this beautiful, peaceful calm of, okay, the romance is there. If you didn't think there was there before, it's there now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I, it's just, I, oh, so good. I, I can see the, uh, like, kind of going against this song, mm. though, too, because, like, it's called Beauty and the Beast. What does that have to do with anything in the song? It's a song about two people kind of unexpectedly falling in love. What is the fact that one is a beauty and one is a beast have anything to do with that situation? Well, well, it's well, the song is about illustrating the relationship and the timeless quality of, uh, of this uh, uh, of, of love, where a lot of times people don't fall in love at first sight. This was this romance was not love at first sight. It took time. It took the chance for somebody to bend and and open up. And, and 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 that's what this song is illustrating. It's it's telling the story of what you've watched this whole movie of these two very opposite people who turns out actually do have a lot more in common. Because the beast, there's a great illustration I saw once. Um, oh, how'd it go? It was so perfect. It was like obviously Belle sees the beast as more than just the hairy buffalo uh, that he is. Um, and then for, and then for Belle, you see it from the beast perspective where he does, where like you see our picture of her in the ball again, but then you look at the mirror that the beast is looking through and you see, you see Belle is, is just her being a bookworm reading, sitting quietly reading a book. And that's what these two are. They, they're, they're two souls that connect. And that's what this song is all about. It's, it's about two souls coming together despite physical differences, despite class differences. They are able to connect on this human level with one another, and it's, and it's about the transcendence of the love that comes from this. That comes from that. So that's well yeah. That's this. That's the beauty of this song. It's capturing that moment, and I can't help but get teary eyed every time we get to this <laughs> moment of the show. Like just watching even the bootleg, I was getting a little teary. I was getting a little teary eyed watching Susan Egan and Terrence Mann waltz around the stage. Like it's. Gorgeous. You like, are such a romantic. <laughs> darn right. I mean, I can see why this song is Manta. done at, uh, I can see why this song is done at first 
Dances at Weddings. It's a very nice song. You know me. I have an aversion to nice. I know you do. I, know you do. <laughs> I like the struggle, which is makes something real. Yeah. But it's sweet. It's sweet. It's look, it serves its purpose, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't need to like it. The rest yeah. of the world likes it because yeah. they yeah. like feeling good. Mm-hmm. I'm just the odd duck out. I am the beast in this moment. <laughs> right? It's true. Like, yeah, this song, the song won best song at the Oscars for a reason. It was. And it's Celine Dion and, and Peebo Bryson. Peebo? Peebo? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sure it's Peebo. Like, come on. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's Mm -hmm. Celine. But it's cheesy. She's cheesy. She's cheesy. The song. Once again, once again, let's remember this is a you children's movie. It. I well, once again, we grew up on it. This was like our movie growing up. I know. So there's well, always. It's kind of like um, when you're talking about musicals, there's a certain respect for musical composition and and mm-hmm. musical creation that uh-huh. you have. And then there's a song like this, which is just kind of like you've got somebody who listens to classical music, and then here's pop, and mm-hmm. it's just so simple. Yeah, it is. And but in that in that it, there lies beauty mm-hmm. and the beat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it is it, there, there. It is simple. But what is what is great about this song is it harkens us back to the idea that this is a fairy tale mm-hmm. and it's supposed to have a nice ending, mm-hmm. um, even though fairy tales don't have good yeah. endings mm-hmm. in the real world. Yeah. In the Disney world, they do. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I still it's still on my anti list because it's too nice for you. Possible he he dies. How come Gaston dies, but he doesn't die? It's very confusing because because the beast dies, but the magic brings him back. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Autumn, then what's on your like on, on your list is number one. Um, I like Belle. That's a great it opening number. It thing in the car. It's on my my driving list, not my lawn mowing list. Do you do all my... the villager voices? The the, um, the, yes. the the cheese, more bread. Have I'll get not, I'll get the knife. Have you not seen my video at Saint Marie among the Hurons? No. You use the whole set. I'm like bonjour, 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 bonjour. There goes. Come on. What? This was, yeah. Uh, Oh, Belle, though. Yeah, so talk about Belle before we get into Belle. Well, I just love it because she's an odd duck. She's an odd, she's like, that's the beauty of this story. Mm-hmm. I keep saying beauty and be hilarious. <laughs> the beauty of the story is she is the most beautiful person in town, but no one can relate to her because mm-hmm. she's using her mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> A woman who uses her mind how absurd. reading? So she, so, so she's just getting ideas, thinking? Yes, thinking. Mm-hmm. And not about a husband. Yes. 
How strange. What's wrong with her? He's crazy. She's crazy. He's gorgeous. Oh, she must have gotten these ideas from her crazy father who invents things. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Oh, weird. (laughs) Yeah. The idea of otherness in this is so hilarious. Mm -hmm. So it's just a parable on otherness and how otherness is okay. And that's why I like Belle. Yeah. And it's catchy. And Gaston comes from nowhere and he's all much. He's my love. I love Gaston. Gaston is my favorite. Right from the moment when I met her, saw her. Well, he's, she's he's gorgeous and I fell. Fit. Like he's, he himself is an oddball and trying to fulfill this. The town's expectations. Uh, yes, this expectation that he is, he probably isn't a master hunter. Now that would be funny to give him that. Like everything that is ever done is LeFou. He shoots all, everything. And he, Gaston takes the credit for it. Like there's something, <laughs> there's something so performative about him. Yeah, there's something underneath. There's layers of complexity to him. Well, don't forget, Gaston can't read. He's illiterate. Like because because actually goes, what are you reading? There's no pictures. Like that right there tells you this guy is uneducated, but yet he's propped up as the hero of the town. But anything that can be seen as a deficit. Mm-hmm is um, emasculating. Yeah, hence why he goes after Belle and Maurice because they're actually smart. That's right. And the beast because Mm -hmm. he's bigger and feral Mm -hmm. and that is the ultimate prize. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I like Belle just because A, it's it's one of those songs it's like Eastwick knows. Yes. Right? From Witches of Eastwick. It's like you get to know the community mm-hmm. and the community. We don't get to see a lot of the community, but we do because the yeah. community and that communal voice is so important. That status mm-hmm. quo and adhering to the status quo is the, that is the villain of the piece like parade. Mm-hmm. You can't fault individuals within the community. No. You're well, just going it's... along with the status quo. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like, I, to be honest, Belle was going to be my third choice, but then I was like, no, Beauty and the Beast, got to go the romantic route. Belle was going to be the other, but I but I have, I have another villager song that I was like, I can't have two villager songs in this. Um, but no, I love this opening number. Like, right. in seven minutes, you set up everything you need to know. You have Bella set up, her motivation. You got Gaston and LeFou, they're set up and what they're going to get up to. You got the entire town and their perspective set up. Like everything is needed to set up. And the fact that Howard Ashman was terrified to send this in to 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 the, to the Disney execs, and he's like, nobody asked us to write a seven minute operetta. Like they're <laughs> gonna, like they're gonna laugh us out of the room when we send this in. And Alan was like, no, 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 it's actually really good. It send is really it. good. And so, so, so you actually can go listen to their original, like just the two of them doing all the voices, and actually the whole uh, big kerfuffle sound at the end of. Bonjour, bonjour, pardon, good day. Uh, you call this bacon. Like, like, ten, like all that stuff actually came because the director was like, we need something more chaotic here. And Howard Ashton got frustrated. So he was like, okay, so tell me. So he starts playing the piano. And, and the director was like, I, I don't know. It's this line and this line, this line. And Howard Ashton was like, okay, got it. And so that was added. But that once again creates the community. Because if you because you don't yeah. have that, you don't get the bigger picture of who Bell is kind of up against. And it's this everyday normalcy that these people are okay not reading they're okay just kind of 
going their about their daily lives. Yeah. Box. But it also is mimicking opera. Yeah. And those grand beginnings of opera. Yes. So it's kind of, you know, going, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, we are going to tease you. And it's, it is, there is a sense of um, melodrama to it. Mm-hmm. Here is our big opening. Yes. And it's very performative. All the characters are huge in this. I mean, the baker comes out with the loaves of bread. Marie, the baguettes, hurry up! <laughs> like, oh, and then you have the, you know, the objectification of Gaston and the women. Yeah. Oh, it's she's beautiful. Too bad she uses her brain. Yeah. Like it's every yep. trope possible. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, is. Yeah, and I also just love the fact that as Bell's walking, you get all these little snippets of yeah. conversation, like the um, like the bonjour, good day, how is your wife? Then the guy gets smacked in the head by his wife yeah, for yeah. talking to Bell. Uh, yeah, I need uh, six eggs. That's too expensive. Like just the fact that the majority of the song is just conversational snippets that Bell's hearing on her daily walk through the town to the bookstore, which I'm surprised there's a bookstore in that town. It's a pastoral picture. Yeah. Danny, what, what are your thoughts on this song? This, I, this song is great. It didn't make my top three, but that's just because, again, it was just tough decisions. It was like my number four getting mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. to this. Um, it's it's a great song to bring it back to like what I specialize in with like storytelling and Dungeons and Dragons and all that. This song does superb world building. Like yeah. like Autumn was saying, like we get we get the, the 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 establishment of the society like we find pe- mm-hmm. people just having these quick conversations and even though we're not going to be investing in them they say something and that brings them to life mm-hmm. um and it introduces us to the characters as you would expect an opening number to do that mm-hmm. being bell gaston and the other individual mm-hmm. quote unquote that they're going to be vying for mm-hmm. the society because that's going to have a big impact on both of them. Belle's concerned about it at first. Eventually, quickly, her and her father go, ah, it's fine. We're good. But Gaston, <laughs> yeah. he requires it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, the village gives it to him when, like, when you realize that, like, the entire town shows up to boost his spirits and Gaston when he is down in the dumps. Like, like, the, like there's a cyclical nature about this community that, that they're willing to put up this paragon, this... This man in a red shirt, like there's just so, oh yeah. Once again, like just the brilliance of this opening number, like it's I just mean, so good. What, what this musical does is uh, like, I think Autumn, you mentioned this earlier. I think, I feel like a lot of this musical is about societal expectation. Like mm-hmm. we've got three parties. We've got Belle, we've got Gaston and we've got the Beast. Mm-hmm. Um, Beast and Gaston are concerned about what society thinks of them. One is feeding into it mm-hmm. and one is feared by it. While mm-hmm. Belle doesn't exactly care and she's happier for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She's living her own, her own, her own life. life. Her own sensibility. She's like, mm-hmm. eh, whatever. Yeah. Think what you want. I'm going to go to the library and get another book. Yeah. <laughs> I love I love that line with the bookseller that just the just the do you have anything new? Not since yesterday. <laughs> well, that's all right. I'll take this one. That one, but you've read it twice. Like and just that's okay. Yeah. And I mean, and once again, Howard Ashman's beautiful lyrics here. Like when Belle's sitting on, on the fountain doing the reading and she does the uh look, it's a prince in disguise. Um, but 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 she won't discover that till chapter three. 
Oh, great foreshadowing. The third act of the uh, of a story that you finally get the reveal of the prince in disguise. Like Howard Ashman, you brilliant, brilliant man with your with your with, with your lyrics. Like brilliant. layered upon layered lyrics. So there we go. That is your number one. My number one though is the other big villager song, which is the mob song. Yeah. Um, Danny, did I make your list? It didn't, but I knew it was going to make your list. I know, I know. Autumn, did it make your list? I'm still contemplating my number three. Okay. All right. I'll talk then and we'll see if it ends up on your list. Okay. So first off, as a kid, this was my favorite song of the whole movie. The whole sequence of the villagers leaving the castle or, or leaving the house chopping down the tree going to the castle breaking down the door you got the objects battling battling with the villagers that whole entire sequence was my favorite part as a kid i rewound that on vhs on repeat i laughed hysterically when the wardrobe jumps off the balcony and crushes one guy crushes another guy it's great but the whole song itself though back to the song like i used to reenact that with my plastic swords and props like that was like my number to go act out as a kid was to go kill the beast. It was great. Um, but as I got older, I realized it was more than just a really catchy, jaunty tune that these villagers were singing. This is a really scary song because of the reality that Howard Ashman brought in to this world of the dangers of group mentality and just how fickle we as human beings can be that when there is a perceived threat, perceived threat we are very quickly to all turn like that and go let's go we're like let's go fight them come on let's go uh doesn't matter what did he die from aids trust me i'm getting to that so like this song just reflects that throughout history where like you have world war ii with the jews and then you have it again in 2016 where a man came down a, a, a escalator and said there are murderers and rapists coming across our border we must build a wall. We must go and fight. You also have the fact that even now during this current pandemic, the fact that somebody says it, it is it is a certain country's virus. Ergo, now we have a huge spike in hate crimes against a certain community. But even like with Howard Ashman, he lived through the fear mongering of the AIDS epidemic, where you had these people storming out in the street with signs saying "God hates," "God, God hates you," like. You have these people marching down the street and Howard Ashman we was- were still doing that when he when he was writing this. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, he saw this world of how just fickle these people could be that the minute you point at someone and say, they're the bad guy, you give somebody a threat, right away, everybody's quick to jump on board because people like that simplicity of, I need, I have a problem. 
like like problem like the problem is this. This is our problem. We do that because we're so used to fitting into a system. Mm-hmm. We have been systemically trained mm-hmm. to oppose mm-hmm. anything that is other than us. Mm-hmm. Well, there's the great lyric of, we don't like what we don't understand. In fact, it scares us and this monster is mysterious at least. Bring your guns, bring your knives, save your children and your wives. We'll, we'll save the village and our lives. We'll go and kill the beast. Like that right there, that whole, that one bit of verse tells you everything you know about, uh, about humanity. That if there's something we- Like, it's still happening. Of it's course never it's going happen. to not happen. Exactly, because there's stuff we will, there's always something we will never fully understand. That's right. And because of and that- we'll want to fight against- You're monger that, yeah. yeah. The minute there is the perceived threat to your normalcy, well Whatever now- that is. Yeah. Whatever that yeah. is. Whatever that is, people now have a reason to go and fight for that. And so Howard Ashton was just brilliant. And then Alan Menken, uh, with, with the music, once again, it's a jaunty tune. It's not like like da 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 Yeah, the music spurs you to action. Yes, exactly. And I mean, I mean, even the objects get to have their verse of hearts aflame, banners high. We go marching into battle, unafraid, unafraid, although the dangers just increased. Like right there, everybody's marching in to battle, and it's you're gearing up for the like you're gearing up for the war, like. I, 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 the, uh, the villagers are at the are at the are at, are at the castle. They've got the battery on. They're breaking down the door. A you war know. that isn't even theirs, right? It's not. No war is anybody's. Mm-hmm. It's well, Gaston perceives this as a threat. This buffalo has taken the heart of Bell. Ergo, this is now my fight. I have to go prove myself to the village because he's being humiliated by Bell. Because Bell says to him, "He's no monster, Gaston. You are." And Gaston's like, "Well, then, well." Well, then you're as crazy as the old man. Like, just cut off my penis with that statement. Basically, yes. How dare you have a brain? And yeah. came to that conclusion. Yeah, exactly. And I will say one final thing about the song I love is the fact that Howard Ashman got a Macbeth quote in there of, screw your courage to the stinking place. Like, that right there is just another reason why I adore this song. The fact that you can throw us throw, throw a Shakespeare quote in there. Nobody batted an eye being like, what the heck does that mean? We all knew what the heck that meant when we heard when we heard Gaston say it. It was like he's gonna go off and get them. Like it's just so great. It's a beautiful. It's 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 a masterpiece of a in song. an ill-advised way. Yeah, in a in a a hubris tantrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tantrum of exactly. hubris. Exactly. So okay, yeah. I'll say that's my number three or Perfect. my number two. I'll go with that. All right. Because I do like I like the opposites. Well, it's so opposite. I mean, look at where these characters start at the beginning of the movie with, or musical, with their villagers in the town. Sure, Belle's weird and Maurice is a little bit strange to them, but they're not a threat. All of a sudden, now Gaston goes, Maurice is crazy. (coughs) He says there's a beast in a castle. Quick, everybody, grab your torches and pitchforks. We're going to go lock him up in an insane asylum. Quick, change of pace, guys. Surprise, we're now actually going to go kill a beast because... We because I believe him. <laughs> yeah. Well, the fact that well, the fact Bell pulls out the magic mirror proves there's a beast. Uh, but then Gaston's first lines, uh, first lines, he knows exactly what to say to them. It's the beast will make off with your children. He'll come after them in the night. Forget the old man. I say we kill the beast, and everybody's does. And the fact that 
Howard Ashman's the first original lines of the song, the we're not safe until he's dead. He'll come stalking us at night, set to sacrifice our children to this monstrous appetite. He'll wreak havoc on our village if we let him wander free. That was originally supposed to be Gaston's lines. But then Howard Ashman realized, no, it's more powerful to have those lines individually sung by the villagers, showing Gaston ramping them up in their fear mongering. The, uh, the um, rabbit hole of extremism. Right? That's exactly what Gaston does. How we feed off of it. Mm -hmm. Do you know why people do this? It's not just systemic. It's pe because people turn off their brain mm -hmm. and they stop thinking. Mm -hmm. Like when when they sing Bell, you know it's going to be bad. Because yeah. they're like, oh, this is what we perceive of her. Mm -hmm. Never say, oh, they're like, hello, hello, hello. But mm -hmm. they never go, oh, why are you reading so much? Mm -hmm. What is it about that book? Mm -hmm. Why do you read? They never ask the question, why? Because asking question leads to unknowns. Yep. <laughs> unknowns. And once again, people Ooh. don't like to think. Like that's because the Because they're afraid it. of the unknown. Mm -hmm. But they have to embrace that not everything is knowable. But it is. It is that we always look for something unknowable mm -hmm. to answer questions that no one has the answer to. Mm-hmm. And we can't just embrace the fact that certain things are not knowable. Yep. And that's okay. <laughs> yep. Danny, what it's, do you think of this song? Well, I, I mean, you guys have covered it quite, quite well. It's, uh, it's just Gaston has taken his, his, uh, uh, the way he is perceived by what I've considered this mass of people, the society. And he's just like, all right, you're on my side. I'm going to use you to my advantage, to what I want. Because clearly I can't manipulate Belle, so let's hurt Belle. And then she'll clearly like me, but... Well, bring back his head and mount it on my wall. Yeah, and it's it's uh, kind of going off of that, um, what we were just talking about with uh, people not thinking for themselves and being afraid of the unknown. It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of like the people are like with their brains, that saying of it's easier to ask for forgiveness than for permission. And it's just like... No, just consider your actions before you do things because mm -hmm. preventative is better than responsive. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> Autumn's like, can't say it better. Thanks to that. I mean, as as far as the mob song though goes, it it's 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 action. It's it's fun in the way the music is presented, but you're right, it is scary because it's 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 real. It gets quite real. Yeah. You realize, like I remember as a kid thinking. It's kind of weird how fast these villagers kind of just jump on Gaston's bandwagon. The more you get older and you look at history and you look mm -hmm. at reality and go, actually, no, it's not. People get on board these types of situations very quickly. Once once the perceived threat is at, realized, they're good to go. Fear There's is a powerful no, emotion. It, it's so powerful. And people and people just want that resolution. It's I don't want to think. Just tell me what I have to do to get rid of the problem. Fascism. It's, Mm -hmm. It's why fascism exists. Mm -hmm. Right? There you go. Whether we want to name it or not, mm -hmm. it's there. Yep. And it's easy and mm -hmm. it's jaunty mm -hmm. and it's a promise. Yep. I have the knowable. Mm -hmm. I have it. I know so, that if I kill this kill thing, we'll be fine. Yep. We'll save but our children and our wives. Who's to say the enchantress won't come back and damn you all to be candlesticks? <laughs> no one talks about that, do they? Ooh, ooh. Yeah. 
Aha. Aha. I've got oh. it. Yes. Oui, oui. All right. Perfect. Denny, what is your number two? So looking at my list, I'm realizing that I think all of my songs are chosen based on having an emotional emotional impact on me. And That's this okay. one just always gets me dancing through each movement of the piece. Mm -hmm. It's what you would expect. It's Be Our Guest. made my other list uh you know what again another one of these i'm not surprised you i can see it going either way mm -hmm. like i wanted to avoid hitting the big ones because i was like there's got to be more to this but then i watched the musical and i was just like i had so much fun listening to this song again yeah all right denny talk all about the song in it and and then i'll, I'll explain why it made the other list so i mean it just it, it makes me dance. There's just so much going on in this. It's Belle being like, Beast told me I couldn't have dinner. Let's go have dinner. And then the, everybody's like, no, let's go have a freaking party. Um, and so they, they like, it's just they, they put on a show like this is the first time in a long time yeah. that these people who are accustomed to like just doting on other people are like, we are going to make an occasion out of this because this is a big signifier of change yeah. within this castle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It is a big signifier of change. And I mean, I will tell you, the movie version of the song, I adore it. I mm -hmm. think it is a perfect, entertaining bit of, a bit of, enter bit of entertainment for Belle and showcases the objects and kind of what, and their joy of having somebody here. What I don't like about this song is the way it's translated onto the stage hmm. because there's way too, first off, there's way too many freaking dance breaks in this, in this song. They bloated this song with unnecessary dance breaks. So you have the Bell and Lumiere dance, the Lumiere and a Babette dance, the napkin kick line, the rug and cheese grater duo dance, the salt and pepper routine dance. It's like, no, one dance. That's all you need. And also, Belle should not be dancing in this number. They are entertaining her, not she joining in with them. This is their time to show off for Belle. The fact that Belle right away is like, let me dance with you, Lumiere. It's like choreography-wise and story-wise, that doesn't make any sense. Belle is but still getting used to this place. She's not jumping right into dancing with human candlesticks. That being said, I can understand everything mm -hmm. you pitched there. Mm -hmm. um, but as a person who sit who has sat backstage while mm -hmm. this number has happened because as i was playing gaston i was in no way involved in this piece i was constantly moving along with the music like the yeah. song is just oh it's infectious the actual song itself is it gets you but but i mean like, through each movement even mm -hmm. like the music changes and i'm just mm -hmm. like oh there is there yeah. are things to see. The set is different. The, a huge display of costumes. Like yes. there was just so much presentation. This is yeah. the spectacle, really, where that spectacle is in this yeah. show. Yeah, well, absolutely, absolutely. You're watching this number for spectacle, which kind of bugs me because, like, compared to the other big dance number, Gaston, which I like a lot more because that is 
character-driven movement where that song is meant to build and meant to get bigger and more boisterous as Gaston is getting more back into his groove. Like the the song starts slow, Gaston is kind of there in the chair, but by the end he's clinking the glasses and getting all into the number. Like, be our guest, it's kind of flat because right away from the beginning, the objects are already doing what they're doing. There's no growth to that song. Like, like if Belle by the end of the number wants to get up and dance with Lumiere, great. But the fact that she literally dances with him in like the first 30 seconds of this five minute number, it's like, okay, where are we going? Like, why do I care about a cheese grater? Like doing a dance here. It, sure, it's a cool costume. But that, I, I guess I guess it comes down to the the artist versus the everyman. Mm. I guess what, that's true. What are you searching for in it? What are you searching I, for in musicals? Oh gosh, Danny, that you're now you're now asking really big questions. <laughs> like, like I like, like Autumn and I have talked about this, where it's if you're gonna do movement, you go back to what Jerome Robbins did. He choreographed for character and it had a purpose to drive the story. It wasn't just spectacle for spectacle's sake. The dance at the gym mm-hmm. is a spectacle. That dance that those two gangs do is incredible to watch. But yet the dance is specific. What Anita and Bernardo do is different from what Riff and Velma do. You're doing different, the gangs are doing different moves. It's telling a story. It's creating, it's furthering what's happening on stage. This just feels like we're gonna stop the show for a big production number with a big song that everybody knows. Everybody's gonna be singing along and humming along to be our guest. But then it's like dance break, dance break, dance break, dance break. Versus like gradually building this and actually like, cause that's what the original song does. The original song starts with Lumiere in the lone spotlight. Then you get the plates. Then you get the dishes going by. Then you get the tankards. Then you get Cogger's, uh, the Cogger's and Lumiere break. Then you get Mrs. Potts and her excitement. Then it builds to the feather dusters. Then it builds to all the dancing plates and knives and forks and that big spinning shot. Then you do that big candle line up to Lumiere on the cake. And then everybody's dancing, doing a kick line off the chandelier. And it just builds. And that song is so perfect. They didn't have to change that song to get the dance and that story told. Like, you didn't need any of that extra dance breaking with, with salt and pepper shakers. You got that entire song, what Howard Ashman and Al Macon wrote for that moment, told exactly the story you need to tell. This is Belle's moment to get familiarized with the castle. This is the object's chance to show their excitement and show off. They're enjoying this change of life in the castle they've been longing for from the moment Lumiere says, it's a girl. <laughs> like, that was good. Thank you. <laughs> um, I've always wanted to play Lumiere. Uh, <laughs> mind you, I probably end up more as a Cogsworth. Um, I'm chuckling over, over here. But like, that's the thing there is this number worked already. You didn't need to add extra production numbers. Gaston, yes, you could add the extra production because that song needed that song allowed for a bit more expansion naturally. This oh, just yeah. felt like expansion for production quality sake of we got a big production number showing off all our costumes and set. So yeah, you know what? I, I think it then boils down to you're absolutely right. This song is bloated, mm-hmm. but man, was I hype as hell listening to this again. <laughs> it's a great hype song, like. It's it's a, it's a great hype song. Autumn, like, what are your thoughts on this piece? Because it made my other list, as I was saying to Denny. Yeah. Yeah. Autumn's not a <laughs> fan. You know Autumn's not, not a, a big production number fan. I'm not a... I like... 
I I would like a little bit more complexity to this number. Mm-hmm. Like the stakes to be a little higher. Mm-hmm. This she is the possibility. She is the hope. Mm-hmm. So like that urgency of like sitting her down and everyone trying to do their dance for grandma as it were but it's it flatlines it's like mm, okay yeah i can see that i had seven minutes of the same <laughs> tune in my air it's now an earworm thanks yeah. a lot i mean once again um, that's what the original number did so well it just naturally built that excitement but also desperation I mean, like, I mean, Lumiere says it in the song, 10 years we've been rusting, needing so much more than dusting, a chance for exercise, a chance to use our skills. Ah, those good old days when you were, when we were, when we were useful. Uh, Something flat and something. Flabby, fat and lazy. You walked in and whoopsie daisy. Right. And then, and then all of a sudden you got Mrs. Potts with that big exuberant. It's a guest. It's a guest. Saints alive will all be blessed. Wine is important. Thank the Lord I have the napkins freshly pressed. With dessert, she'll want tea. My dear, that's fine with me. Like, while the cups are there, so soon, I'll be bubbling, I'll be brewing, I'll get warm, piping hot, having sixes out of spot. Oh up, we want the company no. impressed. I just need a kick line in that. Like that no, like, what, no. no, no, what Mrs. Potts is saying is there's that desperation, there's that hunger of, yeah. holy shit. Like, opportunity is here. Like, we're going to pull at every freaking stop. There's hope. Yes. Hell presents hope. Yeah. Right? Simplicity is better. <laughs> yeah. I don't... Um, it is the Disney machine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It is a yep. director that created Disney theme park shows. Yep. Go on, go, going out, going out on steroids. Look at... No offense. It's fun. But there's mm-hmm. a reason why I don't want to go to Disney. <laughs> I find it... Too happy. Sorry, Hannah and Reed, you are not going to Disney with Autumn. <laughs> it's, I just, I don't find it realistic. And escapism is amazing, but I don't want anyone to plan my escapism for me. Mm. Right? I live in a weird, imaginative world most of the time. <laughs> and I don't want anyone to dictate what that looks like or how that sounds. Yeah. How about the other folks, number two? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You go. I'm curious. Yeah. Right. Me? Yeah. Oh, my, num- my, my, my second choice is the song Me by Gaston. Oh. I can see that we will share all that love implies. We shall be the perfect pair, rather like my thighs. You are face to face with destiny. All roads lead to the best things in life are all's well that ends with me. You, me, me, yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, oh, of all, yeah, the song I performed in Kiwanis. Is but, that why you chose it? No, there's more reasons why I chose it. Okay. So out of all the new songs, this is probably my favorite. It fits the best out of all the new material. Like, like when you look at the original scene of where this song takes place of Gaston set up a wedding, he's, he shows up at Belle's door. And in the movie, there's that great monologue about rubbing his feet by the fire with the little, while, 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 while like the children play on the floor with the dogs, six or seven children, or sorry, dogs, no Belle, strapping boys like me. 
like the fact that there's that great monologue that Linda Wolverton wrote that then Howard, um, or sorry, Tim Rice and Alan Menken expanded into this kind of grandiose misogynistic number that it talks about the fact that Gaston has the perfect pair of thighs. Like it's so big and over the top and it, yet it works in the it works in this moment because it's showing you exactly Gaston in the way he perceives why he is the perfect match for Belle, which is which something we never fully got besides this one line in Belle of, well, she's the most beautiful girl in town. That makes her the best. But now we get a little bit more into why Gaston thinks the way he does, where he goes like, we're going to share. We got lots in common. Like, I can see that we will share all that love implies. We shall be the perfect pair, rather like my thighs. You are face to face with destiny. All roads lead the all roads lead to the best things in life are all's well that ends with me. Escape me, there's no way. Certain as do ray. Bell, won't you marry me? Like it's this, it's this perfect expansion of this moment of, of 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 the film and the music. Once again, it's like the, it's like it's a jaunty tune where Gaston is where Gaston's misogyny and total manhandling of Bell. Where like if you took the music away and just watched the blocking of that moment of. This guy is preventing Belle from getting in the house. He's picking her up, throwing her over uh, his shoulder, like basically tossing her around like a rag doll. She's trying to get away and he's very clearly saying no, no consent. Mm-hmm. But like, because it's a jaunty tune of it's Gaston, like you could you gloss over what's really happening in this moment of what's really going on with this character. So I just thoroughly enjoyed this numbers there's once again there's a lot going on with get with, with with gaston and i just enjoy the melody and also tim tim rice's really witty lyrics that he gave this man but yet they're witty but they're simple like they're not well over the complex simple. he is simple he yes. is simple, simple. he is simple but like but, it, but it's 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 very sondheimy the fact that it's witty but it's only up to gaston's level of wit that this is how far his wit would go that he's able to match perfect thighs the in fact love. that it's jaunty mm-hmm. worries me well mm-hmm. it's kind of well, well it's kind of kind of like um nothing like a dame from south pacific another jaunty tune of men on the beach objectifying women but because it's there is nothing like a dame but no nothing. one really talks about the objectification that's happening that's of course not because the, once again it's the jaunty but, tune i know but that's a problem mm-hmm. well you have and, to be like us you have to analyze it to get the, the deeper meaning. Yeah, but not we're selling this, we're peddling this to young women who want to be Belle. Yeah. And I mean, well, Belle's strong in this song. She has all these interjections of unbelievable, absolutely ridiculous. I know, but she's like, physically left without recourse when he throws her over his shoulder. And we don't get to break that down. And I'm going to say, 100% of the parents that take their daughters to go see that don't have that conversation. Oh, probably not. Well, so it's, therefore it's problematic. It's, it's interesting. Cause Mac, you sent us uh, an, an article before this, uh, this, this um, yes, recording day. On, yeah. Yeah. And it was about how like the, this woman's daughter immediately kind of uh, connected with Gaston mm-hmm. and then began to ask the questions of empathy. It's like, why are you mean? Why do people like you because you're mean? Mm-hmm. But I agree. And this is why, despite being a person who played Gaston and very much enjoyed my time performing this song, 
this is my number one on the bottom list. Mm. There, I don't think that this song needed to be added. We understand Gaston's role as the villain, and we can we can break him down and analyze him ourselves. Mm -hmm. But it is young people who are very impressionable who are going to, if they don't see him as the villain, they're going to fall into the trap of being part of that mob. Mm. Right. Because that's Gaston is perhaps one of Disney's most real villains. He is. He, he that's what's scary about Gaston is there are Gastons walking around every day in the world. Yes. That that do what they do, and there is no recourse against them. It is just they are part of life. But let's give them a full song where they get to defend themselves. By all means, that's exactly what we need to hear. <laughs> I don't know. I just really enjoyed this piece of work. Because once again, it's like it's too late in the afternoon. <laughs> too late. I no, I no, I totally get where you're coming from. And I, I but mm. I think once again, it's yes, it's yes, it's funny and it's blocking. But once again, it's the darker undertow of what's happening. And then by the time you get to the end of the story, you see just how evil and how and when the facade comes down, you then get, nobody should be worried for Gaston by the end of this piece. Yeah, Even like I, by the fact why when he ends the scene and Belle leaves him and all the women rush back in to comfort him, he, he does the leave me alone. One way or another, Belle will be mine. And it's like, oh, that is a change of tone there. That like that facade that change of, of tone needs to come sooner. Like we need to start seeing his violence mm -hmm. and his. But we do see his, his violence all the time. He's always beating up LeFou. He's a bully from the first moment. But it's funny. They make it funny. Well, that's because they add all the sound effects in. The I but won't. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But we don't get to see that unhinged Gaston until the end. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're perpetuating violence against women, which he does do with Belle, yes. I think we need to see glimpses of that. And the fact that he's losing needs to be unsettling. I think then you could stage that song that way, that the song just ramps up in his. But no one does that. Do you know why? Because well, it's too complex. Because it's Disney and no one wants that in a musical. Well, Autumn, when I directed this musical, I will make sure this moment has <laughs> okay. dark undertones. You okay. watch. I yeah. will be your outside eye and wait. This, this song is interesting because like, as it is presented, it's the, the song is catchy and mm -hmm. the performance, like the choreography is really well done. But mm -hmm. I think what it comes down to is this is a song in an artistic responsibility. Like mm -hmm. if, like if you're a person like we are and like, we're like, okay, mm -hmm. we very well know, don't be like Gaston. He is mm -hmm. a jerk. Like, that's fine. We can enjoy this. But going back to that impressionability of the audience that's going to be watching it, it that that's where that's got to come in. Like, if if you're expecting purely impressionable people, this song, it should be cut. It's a great song, but it's responsibility. Who is more impressionable than children? Question mark. Gaston. <laughs> Gaston is very impressionable. Uh <sighs> Hence his overreaction at the end of the song. Because once again, at the end of the song, this is the first time somebody's really told him flat out, no. I mean, Belle up to this point has been very polite with the Gaston, give me back my book. Gaston, leave me alone. 
And all of a sudden it's like, yeah, Bell, or, yeah, I got someone. I just don't deserve you. I'm out. And he's like, oh, someone actually told me no. Now the really unhingedness of Gaston comes through. Yeah, now but then you have a bunch of women coming in going, oh, Gaston, I'll take you. Yeah, but once again, it's hollow because Gaston goes, it storms off very angrily. It's it's showing that he doesn't care. It's now. Because we all want what we can't have. That is nature. That is nature. We all want what we can't have. Sure. Oh. Uh, what is your number two then? I'm interested. I'm No, I'm on three. I'm on three. I've already right. done my number two. Yeah, mob song. Yeah. Okay, so what's your number three then, Autumn? If I can't have her. You mean you, you mean you mean if I can't love her? That one. Yes, if I can't have her, love her, whatever it is. I just I'm like with you. The music. Yeah. It's that bass. It's not. It's nothing. If I can't love her, can't have her. Same thing. He's gonna own her at some point. That's the way this is it's gonna be. It's the Beast song. It's the Beast song. It's very. It's. Uh, it's almost like the companion yeah. piece to Gaston's song. They're both songs about <laughs> wanting Belle. <laughs> yes. Yes. But I just like it. Uh, I like the tune. I like Terrence Mann singing it. It makes me mm-hmm. fulfilled. That's all. I love the key change at the end uh, of the song. The, yeah. The big epic crescendo to the no pain could be deeper. But once again, I think what's different about the Gaston song versus the Beast song here is while they're both at the same message of I want Belle, the Gaston song is superficial. The Beast yeah. song is internal. That's right. He's looking in at himself going, shit. Well, he, he is did something even worse than Gaston because he actually physically attacks Belle and rips her sleeve off her dress. Yeah. And he's realizing just how far he's gone and how badly he's messed up. And he's having this reflection of, I look to myself and despise all the things I see. Like, yeah. And he's, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a bit of a pity party and that's okay. I, I, I can't love her. It's very Shakespearean. Let the world be done, done with, with me. It's very epic, but it is an internal struggle. And you know it me. Is. I like a good internal struggle, but he's on his own. He doesn't have to perform for anybody else. No. He, but Gaston does. Yeah. Gaston has the no. villagers watching in the wings going, well, is Belle going to say yes to the marriage? Like, what's going to happen? He's promised us a wedding. What's wrong with you? What's wrong yeah. with you? Yeah. If Why you, can't you? He says no. What did you do? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like that idea of accountability mm-hmm. to everyone's perceptions yeah. is interesting. Yeah. I feel for Gaston. It's a it's a hard it's hard to be on a pedestal. It's tough being at the top. It is. It's a lot of work. Everybody's always waiting for you to fall. Mm-hmm. Or somebody's always ready there to shiv you in the back and it's take horrible. your spot. It's horrible. But I love, yeah, no, th- yeah. It, it came down between me and if I can't love her. Those were the two that I was 
mm-hmm. back and forth yeah. thing on for, for the, for, for this spot. And I was like, no, it's gotta be me, mm-hmm. <laughs> me, but no, I love like, once again, it's crazy. Once again, it's crazy to think that they struggled in the original animated movie to find a moment for the beast to have a song. And that's why they kind of threw in the lines. And that's why they threw in those few lines and something there to give the beast something to sing. But like the fact that they found a really good spot for a song in the musical. I know everybody when the remake was like, well, why didn't you just use the same song in the remake? It was like, well, because this song works at the end of act one. It's the perfect capstone to driving the beast into act two. It, it, it shows his inner reflection that's going to need to push him into the heroic change he has to have in the opening of act two. So, Danny, what are your thoughts on this piece? Um, it's also my number three. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, if I can't love her, I, I think reminds me that there's that the, if if you break the musical down in a certain way, there's themes of emotional support, like mm-hmm. who has it, who's getting the correct emotional support, who's not getting correct emotional support. Because mm-hmm. Beast clearly in his upbringing was being spoiled. Like the people in the castle are like, are we not the partially responsible? Like mm-hmm. that that conversation that happens. Yeah. Um, and now this song is kind of that struggle of yes it's there's a bit of the the dumb i want bell situation Mm -hmm. but there's also that i need help and i'm now beginning to recognize that Mm -hmm. and gaston doesn't have that song because he's like i am supported oh yes i am supported Mm -hmm. and like he he's getting he's getting the emotional support that beast probably had that led him to get into this situation Yep. And so Beast is this this is his reform. This is his cry for help. Mm-hmm. Literally, a top yeah. on top of well, tower yeah. <laughs> looking at the audience. Like it is a cry for help. And that, and that, and I love the fact you brought up that the that Linda Wolverton added these great conversations between the objects throughout the show as well with the with the well is it our fault? Did we not do more? Like what do like like, are we like, are we cursed because we are also responsible for not giving him a proper upbringing and not giving him the proper tools to be a good member of society? And we and we showed him to be this cruel, narcissistic prince that needed to be turned into a beast to show the the, the change that needed to happen in him. So it's fascinating. And I, I mean, that's why I like that's why I like Linda Wolverton's writing in this because she did give those opportunities for the objects to really explore those bigger questions that get glossed over in the cartoon because you only have 85 minutes. Mm -hmm. Lumiere and Cogsworth can't have deep intellectual conversations about the slow uh, uh, destruction of of themselves as they turn into these objects. So, yeah. Fascinating. It's a great song. It is a great song. Great song. Great end to act one. All right. Three songs we either would skip or would cut. My number one was Be Our Guest. Jenny, yours was Me. Autumn, what was yours? Beauty and the Beast. Right. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, Danny, what is your number two? My number two is something there. There's something sweet and almost kind. But he was mean and he was coarse and unrefined. And now he's dear and so unsure. I wonder why I didn't see him there before. Come along, dearie. Let's get you out of those wet things. Mm-hmm. 
She glanced this way, I thought I saw. And when we touched, she didn't shudder at my paw. No, it can't be. I'll just ignore. But then she never looked at me that way before. Really? It's uh, it's so relevant to the plot, but I'm just like, in the musicality of listening to it, I'm just so bored. It sets up the motifs for um, Beauty and the Beast. That's where we get the... Oh, let it set itself up. Oh, you can't, you can't do that in a musical. You got to set those motifs up ahead of time. So, so it, 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 this song just feels like it's like it, this is the song where it's like, yes, they're they're beginning to develop a bond mm-hmm. and we got to do it fast because mm-hmm. clearly this is the kind of thing that's going to need a lot of time normally because you don't oh. just. Yeah, well, orig- you don't just get attacked by wolves once and then mm-hmm. fall in love. It's true. Um, so it, it just it yeah it just makes me feel like we're missing a lot and it's just one song that yeah. i'm just like eh, okay we're here yeah well originally this was a last minute song for the movie something there originally the song that was supposed to go in there was humid again though it was 12 minutes long and actually had a whole seasons changing passage of time showing bell and the beast but they realized that they had guest or maurice still wandering in the woods for like a full season and a half. So like, well, we can't do that. So when they did it, the stage show, they brought back him again, but they cut all the TikTok, the time flows. You actually look up the original version. It's actually really song time. It's cool. Um, okay. but they cut that. But like, and something there was the last minute Howard Ashman replacement song where they're like, we need something else to illustrate the, the changing relationship. They're like, okay, this is Interesting. it. Yeah, I didn't know that. So maybe that's what I was detecting with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a last minute replacement song that was brought in to kind of fill in the gap and fill in the time. Because you're right, it is, this show does very quickly gloss through the, the budding relationship. But mind you, that's a fairy tale. It's Disney. Yeah. Well, move along very quickly in, 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 the, in these stories. And again, I don't think any of the songs in this musical are terrible. Nope. So. No, they're, they're not. Mm-hmm. Autumn, what are your thoughts on something there? It's there. <laughs> Autumn's just so dismissive. I love it. There's something there. I don't there. know the song well. I'm kind of like, okay. There. It's there. Yeah. I'm neither here nor there. I'm like, okay, it doesn't like move anything forward. Well, uh, one thing I do like about the song is we get the internal monologues of these characters. Of, of Bell's, uh, Bell's like, new and a bit alarming. Who'd have ever thought that this could be true, that he's no Prince Charming, but there's something in him that I simply didn't see, or, or the beast line of, she glances away, I thought I saw, and when she touched my, uh, oh, sorry, and she didn't shudder when she touched my paw. No, it can't be. Yeah. I'll just ignore it. Like, there is that internal yeah. question yeah, of this fine. moment. I just don't know if you, I think it could have been something unsaid, but it's a musical, so why not say it? Yeah. Really? Yet again, just sing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I I will say my number two is the Maison de Lunes. <gasps> To a bad old buffoon, then wave one bachelor goodbye. She'll be my bride. She'd rather die. 
Then have her daddy ossify? The times are for two. So put the church raised glasses high to the Maison de Lourdes. I know, Danny, I know. Oh la la. I don't like the song. I skip this song every time yeah. I listen to it. It's this is an example of when you're adapting a movie to stage and you feel like you're trying to add songs in. This is one where it's like, wasn't necessary. The original scene in the movie of just ominous music and these three people having a really dark ass conversation about locking a man up in, in the asylum when he's clearly sane and not like as dark as you think, uh, and, uh, and like it's not a, like it's a dark concept of what they're talking about. But then you put this really kind of cartoony song in there of the Maison de Lune. Mm-hmm. Your check-in time is noon. Like it's very hokey, and it's like you don't need it. Like no, like in the original movie, the 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 Monsieur Dark, the guy who runs the insane asylum, he was freaking scary. Yeah, like like yeah, like, like there's something scary about the guy who like takes the money, rubs it against his cheek like the, and then it's the, oh, I love it. And he's got the big yellow teeth. And it's like, there's just something scary because like the guy admits, he goes, Maurice is harmless. Like, I know he's not crazy, but if you're paying me enough money, sure, I'll throw a guy in a madhouse. Like, why not? Like That's how madhouses worked. Yeah, yep. exactly. Very, what is madness? That's a whole other. Yeah. Mm. That's Again, a- fighting normalcy. What yeah. is normal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Well, once again, this is just re- a really dark element of the story that you have a guy, Gaston, willing to extort this woman to get a-, a wedding out of her for the sake of preserving his image in the town. And to do that, he's going to throw an innocent man in an, like, in an, like, in an asylum. And the fact they put this really jaunty, not necessary tune there, it's like, I guess you needed that there because you need to remind us that Gaston sings. I don't know why that was added. It's there, but it's like, eh. This, what I like about this song mm-hmm. is, well, I mean, when it comes down to between me and Maison de Lune, we've got two songs that were added mm-hmm. for the purpose of let's make Gaston more evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first one is Gaston is disgusting. And mm-hmm. this one is Gaston is manipulative. Mm-hmm. I would prefer to keep this one because we don't have to worry about that responsibility thing we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier because, well, I mean, the kids probably don't even know what's going on in this scene, to be honest. Um, yeah. But as as a person who played as Gaston, I really enjoyed performing this piece. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know, there's just something about the fact that we've got this like waltzy polka <laughs> minor song yeah. it's just like ooh, this one feels like we are scheming mm-hmm. it's very scooby-doo are. it's uh, the song always reminds me of scooby-doo somehow where it's like cartoony scooby this is where this song feels like this is where we get the cartoon element of the movie where it's like <laughs> right on and that's exactly in the yeah. fact that the guy who plays the maze the monsieur dark when you look at his costume where it's like really heavy eye makeup heavy on the cheeks like Big black coat. It's like, mm-hmm. we get any more Scooby-Doo villain here? Mr. Than... Sourberry. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mr. Sourberry from Oliver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like, 
yeah, like, like yeah, if, if it's just between me and Mason Deloons, I go with me just because there's something like it's like, it just fits better in the, in the adaptation of film to stage. Yep, I get, I get it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's why that one made it there. Autumn, what's your number three? I mean, I'm not. I don't really have. I mean, be our guest. <laughs> did I say that already? You did. Oh, did you? Well, I'll say it again. No, no oh, wait, oh, wait, no, sorry. You said Beauty and the Beast. You said, okay, so be our guest would be your number two. Yeah. So my number. And I guess three, me would be your three then because you said you didn't like me. It's no, you know what? I don't like the direction probably of it. Mm hmm. It's too comedic. I mean, it has potential, but mm -hmm. everything has potential. How do we gauge these conversations? I don't know anymore. I don't know anymore. <laughs> We've been going at this for a long day, Autumn. Oh, I just, everything can be handled mm -hmm. well with the right person mm -hmm. helming it. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It needs to be de-Disneyfied. Yep. Yeah. So it doesn't, doesn't have the poignancy that it should. So I'm going to say the rest of it. The rest of it. Fair enough. Danny, what's your number three? <laughs> um, my number three is home. Is this home? Am I here for a day or forever? Shut away from the world until who knows when? Oh, but then has my life because I was struggling to find a number three. Fair. It's, it's a bell solo. It was given to her. Yeah, it was just like, you're singing about you missing home. Of course you do. Yeah. You, we just saw what happened. That sucks. Yeah. Is this home? They stole it from the whiz. Is, oh, that's true. I didn't think of that. Oh, a song called Home. Thinking about home and how, the, how we miss things when we're away from home. Mm. We're breaking ground here. It's true. We're, we're 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 unveiling some secrets. Just it didn't need it. The the movie, and this is why I don't know if the adaptation is good because there's too, they just added too much. Yeah, I the, agree. The movie had it quite well done. Yeah, I like nice, good done. I like the objects edition stuff. I like the beast song edition. Yeah. Like that's all that's really needed. But I will say my number three, though, was the no matter what reprise. First prize is nearly mine. It's quite my best invention. So simple yet complex, so massive yet so small. This triumph of design will be my old age pension. That is provided I can find the fair at all. I must have missed a sign. I should have paid attention. Which is where Maurice is riding his mat, his his invention into the woods, and then he gets lost and gets chased oh, by yeah. the woods. It's like it's like it, it, the like the reprise is being cut. I like the song no matter what because I do think that is a s smart musicalization of that moment of Belle asking Maurice in the movie, "Papa, am I odd?" And they ha and they have this really nice song between father and daughter that drives home their relationship, and it's a beautiful parent, and it's a very rare father daughter song. We don't get a lot of those in, in musicals. It's usually either mother, daughter, father, son. Very rarely do you get father, daughter combo. That's true. So the fact you get this nice duet, but then you got this reprise where 
Maurice is singing as he's riding this prop invention uh, into the woods. And it's like, you just need lighting and like, you just need underscore. Just like in the movie. Like, no music, like no song was needed in the movie. Just Maurice riding off into the woods. That was it. All these songs weren't needed in the movie. Isn't that interesting? Oh, they just relied on a story. Fascinating. There's a reason why Beauty and Beast was nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. First <laughs> animated movie to ever get that honor. Back yeah. when there was only five movies that year that got, could get nominated, not ten. Yeah, don't even, don't even yeah. go there. Yeah. Don't get me started on awards. I know, Autumn. I know. I know. I did mention earlier that I have a special mention. Yes. What is your special mention? I was wondering when that was going to come up. Yeah. So I've I've added a special mention um, for a song that is making both of my lists, mm. which is obscene, absurd. I know, um, but it's human again. Yes. So going back to something there, this song, I think, does this function better. And what I like about this song is I love the music in it, firstly, um, but also like we we it's a song of hope, like all these staff members within the cast are like, oh, I'm going to do this again and this again when I become human. And I immediately went. Oh, I sure do feel like the pandemic is very relatable to this situation right now. <laughs> yes. Oh, the things I will do after I'm able to leave my home again. <laughs> um, when so I'm I, human I, again, only human again. Yeah, I, I, I very much enjoy the song. Um, and then the cons. Well, I mean, and also it sets up this feeling of hope and then we get Beauty and the Beast. Beast lets Bell go, and then those hopes are dashed, and it's like, okay, I'm on an emotional roller coaster. I'm into that. I'm great. The it's, cons. It's a great this, love sacrifice. Yeah, it at the cost of so many people. It's true. It's true. But once again, that's the power of that moment of yes, the Beast proving his love that he is now willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. Mind you, the fact that they also add the fact the audience will now get affected by this sacrifice really kind of twist that moment of sacrifice and makes you kind of go, uh, dude, you just like, just condemn not just yourself now, but everybody to this so is horrible that, thing. That, is that a sacrifice then? Or is he just going, oh, I love you. This is my love. So in a way it's kind of selfish. It's kind of a dick move because he could save so many people, but he saves one and it's the person he loves. What, so in a way- again? she will mm. carry on his legacy and mm-hmm. say, mm. and she seems to love him beast or not. She doesn't even know that he's a prince. Mm-hmm. So no way, yeah, no, uh, yeah, no, I, yeah, I love human again though. Like once again, as I gave you in that history lesson there, this, that was the song that was supposed to fill in the gap of falling in love and getting the object's perspective. But because they couldn't make it work in the movie, they cut it, brought it back for the stage show. But I love the fact that we do get all these insights into the human side of these characters. Yeah. Once again, we're, we've been watching this stage show of a guy walking with a literal clock 
hanging off him, a lady dressed as a wardrobe. And you forget sometimes that, oh, they're human. They are, they're, 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 they're the human drive of the story that make everything happen. Like, and, and it's important to remind you that they have a perspective, that they're not just the servants of the beast. They have their own motivations, their own drives that make them want to do what they want to do. Yeah, so Human Again makes the Beast's releasing of Bell complicated, which is a nice thing that Human Again does. Mm-hmm. Um, my con for it is it's got some really stupid lines in it. Why I'll easily fit through that door and put these here and put those over there. Well, don't forget. Well, don't forget those lyrics came from the animated movie. So like in the animated film, put these here, put those over there is Mrs. Potts directing everything in the house as they're cleaning it. That's yes. where that line came from. And then like, the, but the easily fit through the door, I actually like that line because it's said by the wardrobe. She's huge. And she and she's someone who is an opera singer. She is already a larger than life person who's being forgotten by the world. She can't fit into her clothes. She can't do anything. She's stuck yes. in this form. So it's like, well, I'll easily fit through the door. It's that thing of, remember when I could easily fit through a door and didn't have to like shimmy my way through sideways? Isn't it interesting that the artist is also in servitude? Right? My, oh, that is a good point. My my qualms with these lines, they they fit in context. Mm -hmm. Listening to these lyrics, I was just like, okay, I'm supposed to be looking at something. Okay, I wasn't. (laughs) Yeah, this this is a very visual song that ties in like the shine up the brass on the door, alert the dustpan and broom. It, Sweep up the it, years of sadness and tears and, and throw them away. Yeah, it does make sense that yeah. this was meant to be watched in the animated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well, it was added back into the animated special edition, so you can't, you can't go on YouTube and watch the animated version. And it works, because you've got all yeah. those great visuals that are tying in with the, the lyrics. And it's tough on stage. Like, watching it on stage, the set's beautiful, but there's only so much you can move around and do on stage. Yeah. So... It, it, yeah, the, the lyrics are tricky. Let's get into the final question of does um, should this be revived as it still have a place today? Denny, as our guest, you get to start this one off. I I don't even think it's a question of should it be revived. It will be revived. I don't think there's anything I could say one way or the other that will matter. Disney it's already announced going- in 2019 a revival. <laughs> yeah. So I, I enjoy the show. Mm-hmm. Whether it serves as a tool of education or of art in artistry, I don't think it fulfills any such thing. But it's going to be mounted regardless of what is said. It's a fun time. That's all it is. Yeah. Spectacle. Yeah. Great spectacle, not great theater, as, as the critics said back in the day. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Who cares? Who cares no one cares that it's spectacle people love spectacle because they can hide behind it they don't like going to the theater because the theater challenges them to think so therefore by mounting beauty and the beast continually you are perpetuating the mob mentality that you want to break down within the show itself it's business it's biz it's capital mm. and it serves only the wealthy. So then, Autumn, what's your answer then? Is, is no, this a, is this a no, revival? no, no, no. I don't think so. I don't think it perpetuates good 
anything now that I'm thinking about it. We converted off and not the way I wanted this time. No, exactly. It's just upsetting me. It needs to be challenged. Young women don't need to see, you know, Gaston being justified in his actions. We don't need to be looking at that and going, all these women fawning over him. Um, I I think what it comes down to is this, it's this continued cycle of it's tried and true. We'll keep doing it. No, we need new stories. The world has gotten so lazy. Or re-examine the story. Yeah, Tell sure. The story as it's originally penned, if that's such a thing. I don't even know. Is it an original story? No. It comes from a... French story in the 1700s. Yeah. There you go. What is that actual story? Let's tell that story. Yeah. Let's dismantle it. Let's figure out how ugly it is. Let's show the ugly. Children don't need spectacle. Brothers Grimm wrote fairy tales to scare children so they would make good choices. Mm-hmm. Good choices. This is not promoting any choice making. Oh, I'll fall in love with someone who scratched me and who's lost. And that's going to be a great relationship. And, oh, I'm going to, you know, put my servants down and not choose them. Because why would I choose a bunch of people? Rather so would than you one- rather have the beast say to Belle, no, don't go to your father. Stay with me and love me. That's yeah, I want sure him to be going that's for sure going to not win any love and affection because it's not honest love. That's extortion. The beast sending Belle away opens the door for Belle to actually genuinely say, I love you at the end. What about? What does he get? What does he get at the end? If someone loves him, what does he get? He gets to be human, but he generally falls in love with Belle. It's not just, like he he starts the musical with, she's a girl, I need her for to be human. By yeah. the end, he actually has fallen genuinely in love with someone. They've connected that, on a deeper level. And that's amazing. Good good for him. Glad he came to that moment. Mm-hmm. Or we could but, go the the third route of uh, maybe go grab him, bring him back to the castle. I'll apologize. Maybe he'll see that I've changed. You know, we could just live in this castle. And then I, I can turn human. I, they can turn human. I know. I know. There's always the plot hole of why does Belle go to the village and not back to the castle? That's, that's always been a plot hole in this musical, in, in the film in general. Um, like, but, yeah. But you know, I do think this is a piece that deserves a revival. Because there is a lot to uncover with this piece. It's not just bluff. We, I, I mean, the fact we went on a whole 20, 10 to 15 minute conversation just about the mob song and about the villagers and about what that represents in the world. And the fact that if you have a good director who's not just doing a Disney theme park show, like you, Autumn, who actually will dive in and unearth and excavate what was what's there, there's a lot going on in this book that you can actually pick yes, apart. Yes, but you know what? Disney, you know will, what Disney will hear about it and they'll shut me down. Disney is like Facebook. There is big the legalities. Thing and they'll go... Well, I'm not saying no. change the work. I'm saying when you direct it, you can interpret it however which way you like. Yeah, but it, the people know things. People know things. What is he going to do? Somewhere alive today, one would, would say there are moles everywhere. There are Russian spies everywhere. Listen, what's Disney going to do? I mean, if, I, I mean, if you got hired by Hard House Theater to direct a production of Beauty and the Beast, you choose. To, you, you're not going to change the lyrics or change the words. 
It's just you directing the piece in a new vision. Mm-hmm. Disney can't flop stop you that. That's that's policing thought. Well, now now if you went in and said I'm going to cut songs and change lyrics and change lines, then yes, now you got a copyright problem. But if you're just taking what's Linda Wolverton and Bryce and making Elaborates a police thought all the time. Our thoughts are policed. I remember when we did our production of Beauty and the Beast. We we did it at the high school, and then we were supposed to do the final production at a a, a the bigger theater in Belleville, Ontario. Mm-hmm. But we actually we w- in the end we weren't allowed to do that because Beauty and the Beast was being staged in Toronto by the actual company, and so we were no longer allowed to go to that other theater because it was within a certain radius. There, th- that was a very interesting situation. That is well, once again, that's business. That is. That's not changing a concept. That's just copyrights and business. But does owning art become part of business? There's always someone policing our content. Mm. I don't know. I just think there's a lot in there that you can work with. Yes, there is. There is a lot. But because of the way it has been perceived previously, you cannot alter that. Mm. Yeah, I'm in agreement with that. Yeah. And look at, I have, uh, you know me, I have utmost respect for Mencken and Ashman and Tim Rice. Mm -hmm. I think they're brilliant at what they do. I just don't think that their vision should be Disneyfied. And I wonder artistically if they sit there and go, oh, I've sold out. No. I wonder if they have that conversation with themselves. Because in a way... When they turned, when they started writing for Disney, they lost that that edge in their productions that Little Shop of Horrors had. Mm. So that's- there we have, there we have it. There's lots to think about there, everybody. Well, everybody, that is the end of season three of Before the Downbeat, a musical podcast. Another season done entirely in quarantine. Hopefully, by the time we get to season four, season five, we will actually be able to record in person. That would be a nice change of pace. But we thank you for sticking with us for another season. Thank you to all our new listeners in Poland, in New Zealand, who have all joined our, 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 our listenership. As a reminder, as always, at the end of every season, we do a survey where you can win a prize. And you give us your honest feedback. If you disagree with Autumn's perspective on this, let her know. (laughs) (laughs) I will Zoom call with you. There you go. Have the debate. Dang. There you go. Autumn's willing to do that. Don't be afraid. I know I'm unknowable, but that is okay. (laughs) Yes. That is okay. Yeah. Jump into the unknown with me. That sounds Into the unknown. That's right. Yes. So there we go. So yes, thank you all. Season four will be along shortly. We promise it won't be too long of a break. So stay tuned. In the meantime, though, everybody, uh, remember to check out all our social media platforms. You can find and follow us at Before the Downbeat on Patreon, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Denny, where can people find and follow you in your podcasts and YouTubes? 
So I am Denny Brandt. I run the YouTube channel Dicely D&D. You can find me on YouTube, of course, uh, as well as Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Dicely D&D. And at the point that this episode comes out, I should be doing live streams with Dicely Ooh. D&D on twitch.tv slash Dicely D&D, where I'll be running live Dungeons and Dragons games with some friends, and we'll be doing collaborative storytelling for your entertainment. So please come check us out. And wow. thank you guys for having me on the show. This was a lot of fun. This was, a was great, great to have you. I know you brought some great insights into this piece. So this was a great, great time and a great way to end the season. Indeed. Autumn, where can people find and follow you? Oh, all the places, all the places, Mackenzie Horner, Autumn DM Smith, Littlewood Smith, Timber Beast Productions. Hook in to see my version of Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> I would pay to see it. I've thrown down my French gauntlet for you. There you go. That's right. Uh, yes, you can find and follow me at Mackenzie Horner on all social media platforms. You also can follow my antics at Cup of Hemlock Theatre, where we are doing reviews, roundtables, artist interviews. You can check out my interview I did with Mr. Michael Roth from LA, who actually helped score... Uh, and write the music for The Princess and the Frog with Randy Newman, mm -hmm. among many other things that he does. You also can check out our Angels in America Part 1, Part 2 reviews. Mm -hmm. with, uh, she features Autumn Smith in Part 1, mm -hmm. where she gets to rail against Nathan Lane. <laughs> I, I do a lot more interesting dialogue about other things other than Nathan Lane. It's true. That is like, that is the... Eh. Yeah. Part of the conversation. Yeah. Way better stuff. And there's way better content. There is. There is. Other than that, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. And we will see you all soon in season four. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Hail as old as time.